Well, I don't know if you've had one of those weeks, or one of those months, or one of those years, maybe one of those decades, where you fell under pressure. But it is amazing how, given enough pressure, relationship pressure, work pressure, deadline pressure, man, stuff comes out of you that you don't even want to admit that's in you. Isn't that true? You want to pretend, I want to pretend that, yeah, I'm pretty a calm, kind person, but put me under pressure, and sarcasm comes out, biting anger comes out, impatient comes out. Man, I had one of those last four days. You know, my wife's been wrestling with these back issues since Thanksgiving, finally had surgery about eight weeks ago, and things were going great. Two weeks, like we're back to normal, looks like, you know, all that hassle and frustration and her laying in the living room for hours at a time, not be able to move. Finally, that's behind us. And for no reason yet to be determined, four days ago, we went from, I can see the light, to pain level 14 and back laying on the floor. And I'm amazed at how impatient I went right back to, how angry I became trying to juggle all the different pieces how much stuff started coming out of me because a lot of us, we feel like we're pretty good people, but you put us in a situation of grief or rebellion or kids that don't listen or the pressure of deadlines not met and behind the facade that we've got it all put together and our marriage has never had a fight and our family is just perfect, behind all that facade, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. I love this next song that sort of gives voice to that very idea. Again, just such an honest song about behind the facade of blue eyes or brown eyes or green eyes that you have, there might be a lot going on. Anger, grief, loss, fear. And so today as we continue our self-portrait series, many of us paint ourselves to look better than we are on the inside. And we've been looking at what are affectionately known as the seven deadly sins, And none of us paint ourselves as ever committing, certainly not regularly, the mortal sins, the big ones. So I want to give a little intro about that overall concept. And then we're going to dig into wrath, anger, how we handle anger, what's bubbling under the surface behind our blue eyes. So have you ever thought about the list of the big seven ones we've heard about? Like, where did that list come from? Well, that list didn't even exist until the 4th century. Isn't that interesting? That list is nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere. You will not find the seven deadly ones anywhere in the Bible. You won't find it in the first four centuries because there was a monk in the 4th century, Evagrius, the solitary, sitting in a cave by himself thinking, Meh, you know what's wrong with the world. Meh. And he comes up with a list. And his list actually had eight big ones. And one of his students reduced it from eight down to seven. And the Pope in the fourth century took that list that he made up and put it into official Christian doctrine. So what is the list? And what happened to the eighth one? Well, it got compressed. He had two versions of boasting. But these were the things you should never paint yourself with. They were things like envy, sadness at somebody else's good fortune. We talked about that last week. Greed, 
pride, and he had two versions of pride, hubris and boasting. So an internal version of pride and an outside version of pride. Depression was on his original list. They changed it to sloth later. Well, if you ever struggle with depression, how would you like to feel like that's an unforgivable sin? Wrath, which we're going to talk about today. Gluttony and lust. Now, if you've come across the list, whether you heard it as, as mortal versus venial, or whether you heard it as big ones or little ones, here's what we all do. You'd say, well, I'm a pretty good guy. I haven't done any of those. Really? Because honestly, as I look at that list, as honestly, I committed this week <laughs> envy, greed this week, lust this week, gluttony this week, did a lot of eating of ice cream while I was under pressure, got angry, wrath this week. I didn't do sloth pride this week. Sloth, that's the only thing I didn't do this week because I didn't have time to be slothful. That's the only one of the seven big ones I didn't commit. So let's talk a little bit more about this. So what's the difference between a big one and a little one? Go to the next slide. So the idea is that there's big ones that weigh a lot more. Don't do those. And then there's little ones that, oh, you do them occasionally. Hey, you know what? Everybody's not perfect. So just keep the little ones going in your heart, not the big ones. So what's the list of the big ones? Well, historically and in the fourth century, they determine a big one include the seven deadly ones from that monk. And any breaking of the Ten Commandments was on the big ones. And what made it a little one is if you didn't realize how serious it was, or when you did it, it wasn't intentional, and you were unaware. So what happens is that the human brain's capacity to lie to itself is a well with no depth. So what you say is, well, you know, I may have lusted, but I didn't do it on purpose. Yeah. I didn't click on that website on purpose. I, I, didn't, I didn't stare at that woman on purpose for a minute and a half. I, I, I didn't eat that second bowl of ice cream on purpose. I wasn't aware it was bad for me. If only there had been a label. And what happens is you end up committing all these things, as I did many of them this week, and then you say, but for, for me it's a little one because I didn't do it seriously or intentionally. So let me give you the real definition, the psychological, not theological definition, the real definition. Big ones are the no-nos that other people do, and the little ones are the big ones that, that I do, the no-nos that I do. And so I minimize whatever I do on the list, but somebody does the exact same thing to me, it's a big one. God, where's the lightning bolt? So Jesus shows up. Because even though the four centuries where this list came from, the Pharisees in his day had an equally ridiculous list of 643 things. And, and Jesus shows up and he turns the table on this. Now what he doesn't do is bring the bad ones down and say they weigh less. He actually says that the small ones are as bad as the big ones. He says they're all big ones. They're all? Yeah. He says if you stumble, his, his brother James says, if you stumble in one area... One little thing, you stumble in the whole thing. You're equally problematic. He talks about your tongue and how you use anger, how you use your words. He said your tongue is like a fire. It's like a rudder. One little thing, it defiles your whole body. One little thing defiles everything. He then goes on, and Jesus says in his powerful sermon he gives, you've heard it said do not murder. That's a big one. But I say to you, if you even hate somebody in your heart, you've murdered them in your heart. 
Hating somebody in your heart weighs as much as murder. Sure, there's bigger consequences to society. A different justice system should penalize you differently. But before God, you have put in your heart the same problem. And yet, they're all forgivable. They all need to be owned. And God wants to work and give you leadership to work through any of these. And that's the powerful message as we get to anger today. So to do that, I've invited my friend Mark Feskin back to do some painting with us while we're talking. So can we invite Mark to come up and join us? Thank you, Mark. Thanks for being with us. And we're going to talk about two characters this morning that dealt with anger. A man named Cain and a man named Lamech. And my hope is we're going to get some real insight into our own anger and how to deal with that anger. So we're going to begin with Cain. So if you don't know the story of Cain, Cain was one of the sons of Adam and Eve. And Cain and his brother one day came to offer a sacrifice to God. And God sort of set up, hey, I'm giving you my best. I want you to give me your best. So Abel, his brother, gives God a very best sacrifice he has. Cain's like, "Eh, let's not take it too seriously. What's God going to need with my best lamb anyway? I'll give him sort of a halfway effort. So it comes time for the sacrifice to go up, and God respects Abel's offering, but doesn't respect Cain's offering. And the Bible tells us that Cain is very angry. And one of the first things we need to do if we're going to get a handle on anger and wrath is you need to look under your anger. Why are you so angry? Now, if you talked to Cain and said, Cain, man, you're really angry about the situation, Cain would have said to you, oh, it's not a big deal. Don't make a big deal out about this. It was just a sacrifice I'm kind of mad about. It's not like I'm going to kill anyone or anything. <laughs> he minimized it. Didn't think it was very serious. Don't, don't blow this out of proportion here. Come on. But that's what happens. When we don't take the time to look under our anger, what is driving this? Why am I so angry? What? Who is... And what might get hurt because of this? And we think of Cain, right? And we think, well, the Cain, that's like, what's those bad people I heard about in the Bible? I don't know if they're really a real person or not, but I do know this for sure. That's not me. I want to propose to you that that Cain lives in all of us. Just how often does he come out? And in what form does he come out? Are you a passive-aggressive Cain or an active Cain? Are you a withhold-your-affections Cain? And what is it that drives your anger? Have you ever taken the time to look under your anger? I have several friends who do consulting. One was doing consulting with a uh, CEO, just taking a, a CEO position of a major company, and they moved to the UK. And with that came all the pressure of a move, a new job, uh, new responsibilities, all the pressure to perform. And because they'd moved to the UK, things in his marriage, uh, just a lot of challenges to a move, right? Well, it became pretty clear early on that he was getting angry after six months in the new job starting to affect the business starting to affect his direct reports the board was starting to get reports and noticing and his wife was even threatening to divorce him and the board asked him to go to a psychologist and a coach to look under his anger what was happening of course he was resistant but they sort of insisted and as he went he noticed his wife had really stumbled into depression in the last six months And part of that was because she missed her parents used to live nearby. She missed the support she had with smaller children. She also missed the relationship she had. She felt very lonely as he was working a lot of long hours. And her depression 
was making him feel more out of control, more feeling he wasn't getting the job done. He was getting angrier. And the psychologist pushed and dug a little deeper, and he remembered that his mom struggled with depression, and he felt out of control as a kid. And that his dad didn't know what to do with his mom being in depression, and dad used to just blow up and get angry. Come on, pull yourself out of this! And now he was repeating the very things that scared him. His wife came into counseling with him, and the two together began to look under their anger, began to develop compassion for one another, begin to see the seriousness of this, that they didn't deal with it and look into it. They got a professional coach. He actually found out he had some adult ADHD, got some medicine for that, and a combination of, of medical stuff, spiritual stuff, uh, relational stuff, began to put their marriage back together because he was willing to do the hard work of digging and looking under his anger. There's a cane in all of us and how well or how much he comes out or she comes out is dependent upon whether or not we're doing the work and willing to do the work of looking under our anger. Why are we so angry about this situation? I have a good friend this week that I interviewed for a video we're going to show in a couple months. My friend Tad Lawrence. Maybe you know Tad. Maybe you know that Tad's been wrestling with and struggling with and fighting pancreatic cancer for the last year. And it has been beating on him. And as I was talking to him about a story he's going to share later, in the middle of our interview, he talked about an incredible story of how he's been able to deal with anger in his life and the joy he has in the middle of pancreatic cancer that's drawing people to himself. I want you to hear his story and listen real carefully to how honest he is about how much hatred was in his heart. Let's watch. She says, well, talk to me about anger. You know, how do you guys deal, you Christians deal with anger? And I said, that is a very good question. And frankly, I went through a severe anger one time when one of my closest friends really cheated me in a very bad way. And this is somebody that we'd go out with our kids together with and things of that nature. And I got so angry over that that I was ready not just to hit him in the jaw and knock him out, but to really kill him. And this is right at the time that I had become a Christian, uh, at, at about that same time, but that anger was still in there. I had uh, the guard in our building uh, downtown. Uh, I'm walking out, going to lunch, and he all of a sudden says to me, Ted, he says, uh, he says, have I said something wrong to you or, any, or have you had a tragedy in your family at all uh, over the last couple months? I said, oh, no, Rick, what's up? And he said, Ted, to be very honest with you, you were really one of the nicest guys in this building. You always took the time to say hello to me and talk. And frankly, I could hear your laughter when you were on your way back from lunch. And, and you always were there and lit up. And I haven't heard a word out of you in two months. And I said, Rick, I can't tell you what you've just done for me, but it is monumental. What you've just done for me is tremendous, and I needed to hear that and think about it. Uh, something did happen, and it wasn't you, it wasn't a family member, it was the loss of a very good friend, and uh, I've had that anger. And frankly, you're, you're right, Rick, if I'm not forced to be somewhere and do something, then my, my personality has changed as well. I'm getting dragged down into the quicksand. I got into that elevator, Chad, and immediately prayed to have that anger taken away from me. And I'm talking about real anger. And I could feel the anger being lifted off of me. 
at that moment in time. And this is somebody that works with me. I go up into the office, and I'm now able to laugh. I, it's somebody I still see. I can, he's accountable for what he did, so I don't work with him anymore. But I can get together with him. And I frankly, he's one of the people I give the gospel message to on a regular basis. And so that was, you know, early, right away, when I became a Christian, where God showed me something. And I don't know how you'd ever get rid of that kind of anger without prayer. Did you notice he out loud on camera said, I wanted to kill someone. This is what uniquely the message of God's grace and Christianity, unlike religion, does. When you realize you've been forgiven of past, present, future, and everything's a big one, you can actually own your big ones because you can bring it out and say, yeah, it really is this bad. You don't have to minimize it anymore. And that's exactly what God does here with, with Cain. He says, Cain, why are you so angry? Go to go to the next slide. He says, why are you so angry? What is it that's driving this? And notice, it's disrespect. He was very angry, and God says, why? Why has your countenance fallen? Well, it's fallen, and the reason he's angry is because he felt disrespected. Because he knows he didn't give his best. God is saying, you need to take some time and reflect on what it is that's driving this thing. And most of us don't look at and honestly look under anger because of a few things. One, ego i got to pretend I'm not the kind of person who struggles with ego, uh, with anger. And so I said, well, sure, but my anger was justified, yeah. Well, it's not disrespect. No, I, I'm, not, I'm not so weak that I get mad at somebody being disrespectful to me. Well, actually, you probably are. I know I am. Or it's shame avoidance. In fact, the word countenance here is where we get the word face. It's your face changes. And most of us don't want to face the fact that we're angry because we're trying to save face. We don't want to admit that we're that bad or that we struggle with that or it's a real issue. So in the name of saving face, we don't face our anger. And God is so loving that God shows up and says, Cain, it's time to tap you on the shoulder and ask you some questions. Let's look under your anger. This has been going on for years, maybe, God's tapping you this morning. Is it time to look under your anger? More than that, let's look around. What's caused this? What are the circumstances? How do you typically handle this? Have the ways you've handled in the past been helpful? Is it making your life more nourishing? Are your, is your marriage flourishing because of how you're handling this? Look around. In fact, he says to Cain, he says, Cain, you need to master this. As you look at how you're feeling right now, why are you angry? And if you do well, And how you think about this and look around this and process this and and reach out for my help. If you do well and process this well, you'll be accepted. I'm ready to forgive you. I'm ready to help you. I'm ready to lead you back. There's acceptance here. But if you don't do well, there's something lying at your door. And its desire is for you. And you've got to master this. If you don't rule over it, it's going to rule over you. Look around. Even this week, if you ask me, why is so much anger coming out of me? I could say, because of circumstances. Circumstances, circumstances, circumstances. But if I look around, it's like, oh man, I, I got to get better systems in place. Oh, I'm feeling unappreciated. Well, wow, just too much stuff coming at once. But often, under your anger, when you're mad, you're really sad. 
that you weren't appreciated by your spouse or you really didn't feel like they gave you the attention you deserved or you feel like you're being used as a paycheck or just somebody who cleans the house or somebody who just provides. But there's usually something, if you look under, and doing well means looking inside and realizing there's some unwell places in you. I remember one of the times I was so mad at my dad, and I think justifiably so. My dad, in general, and I had a really good relationship, but one day I was playing soccer. I played on a select team in high school, and, and so we're playing, having this game, and somehow my class ring fell off. And it fell off somewhere in the grass over where I almost scored a goal. So I told my dad at halftime, he said, hey, what's going on? I said, well, I just, somewhere I lost my ring. He's like, I'll go look for it. Dad, and I know my dad, not while the game is going on. We still have another half. Yeah, I'll be subtle. So he walks over on you know, our side. Will you please go? Afterwards, we'll look for it. Don't make a big deal. Chad, you know, it's fine. Now, only my dad had a metal detector in his truck. He goes back to the metal detector. He now, in the middle of my high school select soccer game, is walking out. I'm like, Dad, you're on the field. You and I train referees. What would we tell the referees to kick the guy with the metal detector off the field? Oh, Chad, you're overreacting. The ball's way down that side. So I'm angry. Now, why am I angry? Well, because I feel like he didn't respect me. Um, didn't respect healthy boundaries, was embarrassing me. And so I had a conversation with my dad later, but I need to actually understand what was going on inside me so I could understand the anger. And then we could talk about boundaries and things like that. But I need to look around. What does it mean to, to look at the situations and the way you process things that are contributing to this? Now, as you're doing that, there's a lot of reasons why none of us do the work of looking under or around our anger to see what's well. We just don't do it. Why is it we don't do that work? Well, the same reason Cain doesn't. We rationalize. What does the rationalize mean? My good reason for being angry at my dad blinds me to the real reason. I mean, I got a good reason for being mad in this situation. Cain would say, what do you mean, why am I mad, God? I'm mad because you disrespected me and you like Cain, like Abel, better than me. Is that really? Or is it, you know you gave a halfway effort and you got called on it? God's tapping on the shoulder. And displacement. Displacement is when you displace anger toward one thing. I'm mad at God for not accepting me and calling me to account, but I displace that on Abel and I'm taking it out on Abel for what he's done. Projection. I reflect my bad feelings about myself on somebody else. In other words, Cain knows he didn't give an effort, and he's really mad at himself for not giving his best, and that's why he got disrespected, and that's why his offering wasn't accepted. But he projects that anger that he feels toward himself onto his brother, and he's going to kill his brother for how he feels about himself. Or repression. My lack of questions blind me to danger. We repress anger, we stuff it, and we blow up later because we haven't learned how to ask questions, to look around, and know how to deal with our anger well. Which is why God says, if you don't let me tap you on the shoulder, a darkness is going to be released. And that darkness is going to overcome, and it's going to take over. It's going to affect your health. It's going to affect your marriage. It's going to affect your parenting. It's going to affect your job. And that darkness that you're refusing to look under and look around is pointing to something broken in your heart. There's something in your heart that you need to deal with, that you need to wrestle with. 
It might be ego. It might be shame. It might be I demand. It might be self-righteousness. I would never do that and I can't believe they did that to me because I would never do that to somebody else. That's a big one and what I'm doing is a small one. But there's a heart problem. And it's going to require you to trust somebody to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, there's acceptance. If you do well, there's acceptance. Will you you let me work with you? Can we own some of this stuff so we can make progress here? But then God moves from this to a third step, which is to look ahead of your anger. What's going to happen if you don't look ahead? He's a really fascinating concept here. This idea that he brings to bear is an interesting Hebrew phrase. He says, if you don't master it, if you don't look under it, if you don't ask the questions, he said, sin lies at your door. And the term there is that of a prowling lion who's about to pounce. An animal is about to pounce on you. An animal is about to attack you. Now, if I told you today that right before you step into your front door, go into your back lawn, there's a sign on your door that says, wild animal loose in the house. How would you open the door? You might not. How would you go in the backyard if there's a wild animal loose? Right? You would suddenly slow down, think carefully, look carefully, because there's danger. That is the idea God says to Cain. Cain, there's something crouching about to take over. It's going to use your anger that you're not owning, and it's going to destroy you. What if every time you got angry, you you had this phrase in mind, I need to look ahead, what's going to happen? There might be something about to destroy my marriage, hurt people I care about, if I don't slow down and right now ask God for help. Right? This isn't theoretical, we've done this, right? We've hurt people we love, we've seen tears in the eyes of people we love because we didn't tiptoe our way through the moments we got angry. Our hippocampus kicked in, it's the last thing we did is slow down, we amped up. I was in Africa several years ago with a mission trip, and we took a day and we went on a safari. While we're on safari, we're seeing all kinds of animals. We had this really cool jeep that had a top that popped up. We could look around and see elephants, and we could see giraffes, and just having a great time. And so we pull over. As we pull over, he's like, oh, we're now in the lion section of the safari. Oh, that's interesting. And I look out my window, and there's a lion next to my door. And he's still got the top open on the car. Like, I stand up, my head is now looking out in the air. I step down, there's a lion there. There's a lion there, there's a lion there, there's a lion there. There's lions everywhere. I'm like, hey, hey, should we put the top down? The driver. I want the top down, we'll be fine, we'll be fine, I do this all the time, you know, lion will eat you, little moonbeams, little lion beams come out of your face, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm actually, I can't even enjoy the safari anymore because I'm terrified that there's a lion right here. My thoughts change, my pace changes, I'm thinking if he comes in, should I be brave and fight him off? If not, who's he going to eat first? Can I outrun that guy? I got all these things going on inside of me. God is trying to help us by seeing we don't look ahead. When you're in anger, you're in the moment. You don't look ahead and see, oh my gosh, there's a lion about to attack me. There's a lion about to prowl over me. So again, why don't we own our anger? Why don't we look ahead and see it? Well, it's justification. We justify what we do. 
What is justification? Justification is my need for control to tell people I'm in charge, to let people know that's unacceptable, blinds me to being out of control. It says, Cain talked with Abel, his brother. So he's angry, he talks, and he's going to kill him. And it came to pass, when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Now the word talk used here in the Hebrew isn't the typical word of, hey, Abel, having a nice day. It's commanding or bossing. Boy, I felt out of control. My younger brother put me up. There's some envy there. There's some, I got called on my half effort. And in his commanding need for control, he justified his anger, then justified his taking out his anger on his brother. Justification. That's why we don't see it coming. We've justified it the whole time. The second thing we do is we deflect it. God shows up and says, no, 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 no. I'm going to try to help you, Cain. What have you done? Deflecting, what what have I done? You're talking about what you've done by not accepting this. What have you done by not treating me the way I should? Deflection. I'm not going to own my anger. It's your fault. It's situation's fault. It's a bad week. It's a bad day. It's I'm stressed. That's a classic one. I'm stressed. Whatever that means. There's this ambiguous stress that made me angry. It's not me. It's stress. Blame it. And God says, no, here's the question. If you want to get free from this, what have you done? What have you done? There's a lion that's going to pounce on you. There's a lion that's going to destroy you if you don't look under your anger, around your anger, and look ahead of what's coming. I told you we talked about two characters today, and here's the second. This one will be a lot shorter. Because the other aspect of anger is you need to see the legacy loss that occurs if you don't do the hard work. And the reason you're, it's so hard for you is because your dad didn't do the hard work and your mom didn't do the hard work because their grandmother didn't do the hard work because their parents didn't do the hard work. Somebody's got to decide, I'm going to do the hard work of looking under and around and getting surrender and getting help because there's a legacy at stake. So I want to talk about Lamech for a second. Who is Lamech? Lamech is Cain's great, great great grandson so this is a long legacy Cain has a long long legacy flowing through the family line and we're going to jump ahead to his great 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 grandson Lamech who first of all decides he's the first person recorded in history in the Bible who decides that he should be a polygamist one woman's not enough he deserves more so he starts treating women without respect first polygamist He's really angry, really control one night. Both his wives are trying to rail him down from his anger. And he says, hey, listen, I killed a man for wounding me. Somebody wounds me, I double down, I kill them. And then he quotes his great, great, great grandpa. For if Cain was avenged seven times, Lamech will be avenged 70 times seven. If you grew up in Sunday school, that number might ring a bell to you. Seventy times seven. Before I get to that, what's going to happen if you keep that lion loose in your family? There's a face of a grandchild, a great-grandchild, a great-great-grandchild's divorce that didn't see somebody, not pretend they don't struggle with, but wrestle with, I'm trying to get better at this. I'm trying to understand this. And your opportunity to wrestle with this lion for the sake of your great, great, great grandchildren is a powerful act 
of why you should engage in self-reflection. And this is why Jesus came. Not to pretend that we don't struggle with wrath, but to say, you do. And I want to help you. And he shows us how. He says, number one, one of the reasons you and I get angry, if you really look underneath it, it's because you're self-righteous. At least I am. When you think about what you're mad about, you think to yourself, I would never run a company this way. I'm smarter than you, therefore I'm justified in my anger. Or you're mad at a a sister-in-law or mother-in-law because they didn't write a note. And you say to yourself, I would never have forgotten to write that note. I feel self-justified, therefore I am justified in my anger. So I have a right to be angry at you because I wouldn't have done that. And so you think that you're a little bit more forgivable than they are. You're a little bit better than they are. And that's actually what's keeping you from wrestling with and dealing with this. Which is why Jesus shows up. So people are struggling one day. How many times should I forgive somebody? And Peter says, should I forgive seven times? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't forgive seven times. But I tell you to forgive 70 times seven. I want you to be as forgiving to others as the most evil man you've ever read about in the Bible, Lamech. How would he do that, though? Jesus goes on and tells a story. It's easy to forgive and be rescued from your self-righteousness driving your anger when you realize how much you've been forgiven. Oh. When you look and realize, I've got to look and own my anger and my wrath and my lust and my envy in the eye, you realize just how bad it is in you when you're honest and that God's willing to forgive you all of that and to, to suspend his wrath toward you, that, that warms your heart, that changes your heart, and you say, well, then I want to go do unto others what he's done unto me because whatever I'm forgiving, whatever I'm letting go others is nothing compared to what he's let go with me. God said, I came to earth to absorb the anger of all the consequences you were owed for what you did so that you can go and extend that mercy and grace to others. I'll give you an example of this. The San Francisco, uh, San Francisco baseball team just had a brain, brain freeze here. <laughs> I was launching into the, the picture of him. Oh, the Giants. Yeah, sorry. San Francisco Giants. They had a horrible season going on for a while, many, many years ago. So much so that the, the fans were booing them. Like, they came out and their own fans were booing them. And nobody was talking about them because they weren't doing anything great. And it was just bad, bad, bad. So they hired a marketing team who said, we got to somehow absorb the anger from the fans so the team can focus on the game. So this marketing team designed the worst mascot ever campaign. The crazy crab. There he is. The crazy crab was designed to be the worst mascot ever. They hired a, 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 an actor, a mime actor, who came out, and his job was to make the audience direct their anger at him, and people hated the crazy crab. The stadium started filling up because people loved throwing hot dogs at the crazy crab, and he would jump all over the place. People loved cursing at the angry crab. They loved yelling at the angry crab. People start talking about the giants on the radio. Have you seen the crazy crab? We hate the crazy crab. What were they thinking of the crazy crab? Suddenly the giants were in the news. Not about their playing, but about the crazy crab. People came up, and the team could focus on the game because all the anger got absorbed and focused on the crazy crab. 
And as the anger was absorbed from one place, it allowed the teams to sort of get their act back together and get back in place to have an incredible season the last five, ten years. But it was a ridiculous, crazy crap absorbing the anger of the fans that allowed them to get back on the right track. And Jesus shows up and says, it's ridiculous that God would come in human form and allow himself to be crucified. That is weird. That is stupid. That's crazy. But I'm absorbing the anger that you were deserved for all the things you did wrong. So that by me absorbing it all, you can start going, it's all forgiven. Everything I'm going to find when I look around my heart has been forgiven. It's all been absorbed by the crazy crab. Now I can start admitting it. And then I can start reflecting on others when I realize, oh, this is nothing. It's painful when I'm forgiving, but it's nothing compared to what he's forgiven me for. And that's why you can forgive other people their big ones when you realize you've been forgiven of big ones. Because at the end of your life, there's two lions. There's a lion that can devour you, which is wrath and anger. But Jesus also showed up and called himself the Lion of Judah. I can put a bigger lion in you, he says. You got a lion problem. Your grandpa had a lion problem. You're not going to get over this without a bigger lion. If you'll invite me into your life, I absorbed all the anger and I fought the good fight and the lion of Judah in your heart can take out the lion of wrath and help you begin to look underneath your anger when you understand the grace message of being forgiven past, present, future. And you can forgive other people their big ones because you've been forgiven of your big ones. I read a story about a principal. He retired about two years ago, but... About four years ago, he had a new student who had just moved into town. He was in South Dakota High School. Principal Kevin Lean is his name. 16-year-old Mason was not doing well with the transition to the new school. Wasn't doing, his grades weren't doing well. And, and this teacher, who was a, a follower of Jesus and a strong Catholic and a believer in God's grace, said, hey, I want to help this kid out. He's having a tough time. Kid came into his office, talked about his grades. He sat down at his desk, and this young man pulled out a gun and shot him just missed across his head. He stood up and he shot him again, went across his chest. Kid darts out of the room, gets tackled by the assistant principal and a few others. Police get called. And in this account, this principal, for the next two years, advocated to not get the guy who shot him 25 years to life, but instead get him rehab and mental health help and asked him, I said, how in the world does a guy shoot at you and you're trying to advocate to help him? And he said, you know, in life, the only thing you can control is forgiveness. And in light of my faith and what God's forgiven me for, he certainly needs to face consequence. And he got 15 years of probation and mental health. Um, he said, but I want to do unto others the way God my heavenly father has done unto me. Let's be people who are honest about our anger. Because when we do, there's a lion who cannot devour us. There's a lion who can live inside of us. Well, man, don't you want a Superman to help you with whatever you're wrestling with? You don't need to just try harder. You try that, didn't work. I I need a Superman and his power and wisdom in me, and God wants to be that for you. So as we close today, maybe you want to pray and just own some anger. Say, God, I 
I've done all those things. Deflected, rationalized, suppressed, whatever else Chad said, I, I did half those. And God, I own it. I got a lot of anger, and I need help. I invite you to come forgive me of the big ones and help me explore why those big ones keep showing up. I need a superman in my heart. Will you come be my superman? Be the lion I need to defeat the lion who keeps pouncing all over me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here today. We'll see you next week.